Our goal is for the morning on this. We want to define our terms rightly because if we do not define our terms rightly, we will not understand the teaching. That makes simple sense, but it's important for this. We want to apply those definitions to our lives and then follow James as he instructs us in godly living. Does that sound like fun? Because that's what James is trying to do. So with that said, hopefully I will stop coughing and get over the fact that water went down the wrong way and be all right. Let's dive in. James 1 verse 2. Consider it wrong way. There we go. <laughs> it's going to be a morning. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Time out. We got to stop right there because we have to define something rightly else the world would lie to you. Christian, what's joy? <laughs> See, you're like, I knew you were going to ask that. And the reason why this is important is because we are not dealing with an emotion. We are not. You know, I've talked about this last week. I talked about this. You know how I feel about your emotions. I don't want you to be upset and in pain, but I don't really care about your emotions a whole lot. And the main reason I don't is because Scripture doesn't. How you feel about things is secondary to the reality of where you are. So let's borrow from another persecution book in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter. <laughs> All of a sudden, country music breaks out. It's okay. It happens. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, laying out the realities of the gospel, the realities of persecution coming upon the church. In this you greatly rejoice, talking about salvation, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You are called to be in joy, even when you are undergoing persecution that may lead unto death which means joy is not an emotion. I mean, let, let's be honest. If we string you up and we're lowering you slowly into the boiling oil, because let's be honest, if you're going to go with the boiling oil, are you going to be in a hurry? Do you want to drop them in there like some KFC or do you want to like, you know, let's be honest. If you've come up with the boiling oil as a means of execution, you're probably not a happy, jovial fellow. So, you, you know, you're probably into the torture thing. So if you're slowly being bound up and lowered into the boiling oil, are you happy? I mean, you'd be like, ooh, I'm going to be a wonton today. That's not what you're going with, okay? Yet, you are called to have joy. It's not an emotion. Joy is a state of being. It is a place that you reside. This is what Scripture is trying to explain to you. I can back it up. One of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and I lost you on the, on the fried wontons, I'm sorry. Don't, don't ask me why. I used the chicken reference, and I couldn't go back to it, and I, for some reason, a fried wonton was the next fried food. I don't fry things, so there you go. <laughs> You're welcome. Again, you wonder why every once in a while I go off track, and I don't know how we got there. This is what happens to me. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such things there is no law. If the Spirit of God is seeking to produce this in you, is that something that the world can take away? No, it is not, because what God gives, what God is working on, he will be faithful to complete. That is why joy is actually supposed to be part of a Christian's hope. Go to John 16. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep 
and lament, and the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. If you think the world is capable of taking joy from you, what you are really saying is my joy is determined by how I feel. Don't do that. It is not a feeling. It is a place of existence, the place where you reside, how you plant your feet and stand firmly in Christ. Because not only is it hoping in God, but your joy is focused upon God. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Jude 24, the great doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence of, I'm sorry, in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. This is what we lose. I hate when I talk about the same stuff in Sunday school that I talk about in here, but it happens. Christian, what is the focus of your life? Should be Christ, right? Godly living, working out your salvation in fear and trembling, right? All those little Bible verses that we remember and try to apply. If that is your focus, then the trials of this world are seen rightly as things that test, purify, refine, strengthen you, which means they are things that can produce in you joy. I'm going to the Father. I am going to the eternal kingdom. The road is a mess. I mean, come on, this is Illinois. You understand this concept, right? We're going on vacation. We enjoy where we're going. Do we enjoy the highway upon which we travel? Most of the time, no, because... (laughs) And that's the paved parts. I mean... I mean, I have, I've run into potholes in this town where I've apologized to my car. It's like, sorry, I didn't see that one. Don't, don't be mad at me. Don't laugh like you don't touch that one little spot on your dashboard. That's, it's the only spot on your dashboard that isn't dusty because that's the one spot you touch and wipe the dust off. Right? I'm sorry. I mean, you don't always enjoy the highway, but the destination is fun. Therefore, you, in, you endure that to get where you're going. Christian, this is how you view the world. This is how you view your life. Focused upon God and his kingdom. The road may be miserable, but the journey is joyful because of where it ends. This is the focus we are supposed to have. Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of, the kingdom of God is focused upon the work that he does consistently. Now, With that in mind, we can then put everything else in its right perspective. Again, who James is and who he's writing to matters because if you miss the definitions and you miss the players, we define things wrongly. So, faithful member of the church writing to the dispersed church, encouraging them to live in a state of being that is joyful based upon God. So consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. All right, let's put this in perspective too because this matters. Again, focused upon God, hoping in God. Christian, who rules creation? Okay, you know God does. So easy question next. When is that ever not true? 
Never, right? So God, like, does God take a nap and like hop off the throne and like let somebody else sit there? Be like, Dave, come here, have a seat for a minute. I got things to do. That's, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Which means he's always ruling. He is always reigning. He is always sovereign over his creation. Agreed? Okay. So what comes to pass that surprises him? Okay. So when that bad stuff happens and we look at God and go, why did you do this to me? Where's the problem? Yeah, the problem's between me and there because it's not like God's like, what happened? I don't know. We got to have a meeting and see if we can figure this out. We left Dave in charge. It's Dave's fault. Wasn't me, it was this Dave that you gave to me. No, that's not how this game is played. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials because the trials come from whom? Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? What's the answer? Any of those things going to separate you from God? Paul continues, just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. In these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing. What we forget is that, this is what we equate. We do what the first century Israelite did. When they start walking around, so like Jesus walks into the temple one day and, you know, there's the guy who's been blind from birth, right? Peter asks him, well, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's the mindset. How many times have you blamed yourself for all the things that happened to you in life? Now, look, they might be your fault. They might be your fault, but who needs to figure that out? You, do we just assume, well, you know, if I hadn't done that one thing when I was in high school, then this wouldn't have happened to me. Maybe, maybe not. Start thinking through what it means when. Now, when should you be faithful? What can you worry about or when can you worry? Now, I can't do anything about 35 years ago. I can't do anything about 35 years from now. I can do something about now. What was Jesus' answer? Neither this man nor his parents but so that the work of God may be fulfilled in him. Same lesson was given in the Gospel of Luke. Do you think the people who the Tower of Siloam fell on, were they worse sinners than you because they died like that? Or because Herod killed them and mixed their blood with the sacrifice? Would that mean just a terrible way to go, just the worst thing that could happen for an Israelite? Were they worse sinners than you because they died like that and you're going to die peaceful in your old age? Does that, does that mean they were worse people than you? And the answer is no. Who dies? Death rate is still 100%. Nobody survives life. Nobody makes it out of here alive. Death, struggle, disease, plagues, 
pestilence are all from the work of God for the benefit of his people. They are for your good and for God's glory. How is God glorified in your difficulty? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. See, how many of you want to sign up for the boiling oil? And yet, Christians did what? Believe believe me, this was actually a problem around the... i got to get my numbers right. My brain doesn't want to always do this. Um, Around the 3rd century, there were actually bishops in parts of Asia Minor and around the Roman Empire in the 3rd century. So it's the 200s A.D., before Christianity becomes legal in the empire, their um, persecution would break out, but it would break out unevenly. So you might get persecuted in Roman Gaul, but you wouldn't get persecuted in Asia Minor. Or you'd get persecuted in North Africa, but not in Italy. Or you, you get the idea. And so Christians would find out that persecution was breaking out, and they'd go run to the magistrates and go, I'm a Christian, kill me! Because it was considered a high honor to die for the faith. It was considered a way of proving yourself. It's like that Bugs Bunny joke. I can only do it once. You know, it's the same problem here. This is the issue, though. The bishops had to go, stop volunteering to be killed. It actually got to the place where some of the magistrates were like, we're tired of killing you people. Go home. No, no. Executioner is closed today. We're not executing any Christians. Go home. No, leave me. Go away. Get off. I mean, that's what was going on because they were in such a rush. Why? They were determined to look at that. This is a quick way for me to get there, and there's no shame, and I can prove my, de- my loyalty to God, and I can be exalted in the church. Yes, I'm in. This is, this is a great testimony. But that's not how this is supposed to work. When will you be strengthened for the trials that you face, Christian? When you face them. As people go, I don't have the strength to deal with that. Of course you don't. You're not dealing with it. The people who are dealing with it, if you would asked them 20 minutes before they were dealing with it, you know what they would have said? I don't have the strength to deal with this. But now that they are dealing with it, they have it then. God is glorified as he works in you to carry you forward. God is glorified as you faithfully persevere in trial by his grace, by his power, through his mercy in Christ and the Holy Spirit. That is how God is glorified. This is what has been promised. Uh, Luke 21. Before all these things, they will lay their hands on you, and they will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. That just goes against everything in your nature, doesn't it? Let's be honest, you sit in the shower and have arguments with people that are going to happen later, and it never works because they never do their part. So frustrating. Like, no, when I say this, you're supposed to say that. And then I win the argument, right? Yes. Some of you are nodding. Some of you are like, you are weird. I'm not the only one. There are people nodding with me. So Jesus is saying what? That's not how this game is played. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Don't prepare. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death and you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. In other words, you died. So what? Did you die faithfully? Did you die trusting in Christ? Then did you die? No. No, you didn't. By your death, you will gain your life. 
He who perseveres to the end will be saved, is, what, is how Jesus put it in the Gospel of Matthew. That's what James is pointing you on. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials. Here's why. <clears throat> There's a reason why you don't wake up on a typical Tuesday, because remember, all the bad things happen on Tuesdays. That's how this works. On a random Tuesday, you wake up and you're like, how did I not deal with this aspect of my personality? Or how did I not realize that I've been talking like this or thinking like that? Why did I just walk like this for 20 years and God allowed me to do it? And then like, you, you realize there's a whole new area of yourself that you get to hate about you. Isn't it a wonderful day? Yay. And you're like, why now? Well, because you're ready now. This is why I don't point you back to a baptism or a statement of faith or, you know, what song was being played when you walked an aisle somewhere. I, I, I don't care. You know what I point you to as a proof of your salvation? Do you care about your salvation? Because you know what the pagan doesn't do? He doesn't care. He's not worried about it. He doesn't care what God thinks about his sin because he doesn't care about God. The fact that you care is a proof of the work of the Holy Spirit. The fact that you're improving over time is a proof of the victory of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's good news. Don't look back to a day you climbed in the water or the day you talked to some person at a camp somewhere. Look back on the work that God has accomplished in you. Look forward into the work that God is accomplishing in you. The fact that you're worried about it is the best sign that you are warring against your sin and that the Holy Spirit is strengthening you because otherwise you won't care most of the time. Yes, there are outliers here and there, but I'm talking generally. This means that you're being strengthened, you're being prepared, and you can trust, which means you should have what? Joy that God has not forsaken and abandoned me and that he is at work in me. That's when I can have, That's why I should also have joy when I encounter various trials because I'm able to deal with this now, there's a reason why you're not being lowered into the boiling oil, just because I know you enjoy it so much. There's a reason you're not being lowered into the boiling oil. You're not ready. They were. Doesn't make them better than you. Doesn't make you worse than them. It just means you're dealing with the things that you're dealing with in the world that you're dealing with. What's the call to you, Christian? Walk faithfully. And when the trial comes, you will be ready because God will not forsake his promises because he has not forgotten his people. You can walk because he is still walking with you. Now, it's even more than that. You should have that abiding joy because that work is being done. Verse 3. So, consider joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Look at that. It actually has value. It creates in something. What is endurance? Let's think about it this way. Anybody ever do any long distance running or jogging? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have at various points in my life gotten into jogging and it's bizarre. And so my, 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 my top line was I could do two miles in 12 minutes. And I, which is impressive for me because you can, you can obviously just tell from the specimen that I am that I am built for endurance, right? It's short, stocky, wide, you know. Yeah, I, I, there's a reason I was a defensive lineman and an infielder and not an outfielder. You put me in the outfield and it's like, you want me to do what? I got to run all the way over there, get the ball, throw it, and then I got to jog back to position. Do I get like an oxygen tank when I get back? No, I don't. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm infield. I'm good with that. Yeah, much better here. Yeah. The whole time I'm running, most of the time, it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and that starts like, you know, 20, 30 steps in because I'm one of those people that even when running two miles, it's a 12-minute run from about 35 seconds until the 12 minutes were up. You know what it sounded like? 
because that's how I breathe when I get just a little bit out of breath. That's how I'm wired. How do I get through the end of it? I'm looking where I'm going. You know how much use it is to run like this? This is miserable. You know why? Can't see anything. I'm not getting anywhere except making myself dizzy now because I'm running around in circles. Wee! You do what? You look out. You plan ahead. I mean, anybody completed school? You showed up on day one and be like, I've got to be here for how many years? <laughs> Remember when kindergarten, what'd you do that countdown to Christmas where you took all those little construction paper rings and tied them together and every day you pulled one off and you're like, it's getting shorter. You're seeing visual workings out of endurance. Completing the task because you're focused on what? The end goal. You're not focused on just one little step. That's why you don't run looking at your feet. You look what? Where are we going? Colossians 3. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Christian, that's endurance in this world. Focused on you? No. Focused on Christ. Focused on the good things he is building. This is why I'm constantly talking about God to strengthen us when we're, whenever I get a chance to pray. To, pray. to strengthen us to do what? Look up. Look beyond. This was a thing years ago. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You've told me that. You've, you've heard me tell you that's terrible. You can't be earthly good unless you are heavenly minded. Otherwise, this world will become about who, real quick? Me. And your world will become about you. And we will accomplish what? Nothing. This is, sorry, having a bad 80s movie reference. And I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. No, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to behave myself. <laughs> Instead, the call is what? Endurance by focusing upon Christ. You know, the actual king of creation. Changing what? Changing your mind changing your perspective, changing your motivation, changing your heart, changing then your actions in this world. Everything will be adjusted because of the work that you have done based on the work that God has done in you. So because you have aligned with what the Spirit is doing, because you have, changed, you have a changed heart, you will have a changed motivation, you then apply that outright, I'm sorry, you apply that outwardly, if I could speak English, and you look up away from self, away from sin, onto the good kingdom that Christ is building. Now, when you're doing this, <clears throat> what happens when something gets in your way? No, see, you think that, but it's like in the highway, driving along. Why did you, why did you hit that massive pothole that made you apologize to your car? No, I'm sorry. Why, did, why didn't you see it and move? Probably because you were looking at your phone, or you looked at the clock, or you're looking at the person in the passenger seat, or you're changing the radio. You were doing something other than looking out. You should have seen that massive pothole that will swallow vehicles from 12 miles away. You didn't because you weren't looking. What's the cure, Christian? Pay attention. Then you'll see it and go, okay, I don't want to be in this lane anymore, so I will get out of this lane. Oh, I can't get out of this lane. All right, then let's slow down and go through it gently. We will make either way that we're going to do what? We're going to make an adjustment. We're going to fix this. We're going to solve the problem before it actually occurs. So let's take that mindset and apply it to your Christian walk. Because I am heavenly focused, because I am looking where I am going, when something pops up in my way, when will I see it? 
miles down the road, and I will be able to prepare, and I will be able to guard my heart, check my mind, arrest my motivations so that I can avoid, kill. If I got to run it over, we're going to hit it real hard because what do we do to our sin? Kill it. How do we kill it, Janine? With fire! (laughs) She asked about that in Sunday school. That's why I'm picking at her. We deal with it because we know that it's coming. Why do we know that it's coming? Because it was odd. Because let's be honest, when I'm shining the light forward and I'm focused on the light of eternity and the darkness creeps in, what did you notice? Got awful dark over there awful quick. What is, what, what is, all, what is this right here? Let's, oh, got awful dark over there. Let's, let's make sure we shine light. We can deal with things because we are heavenly focused. We are changing motivations based on the work that God is doing internally. Why are you doing that work, Christian? Because God's work is being accomplished in you. It is actually doing something. This has always been the call. This has always been the call. That's why you get things like Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You get things like Ephesians 5, um, you did not learn of Christ the way that the pagans did, but you are different because of the goodness of Christ. Ephesians 4, talking about standing firm. Uh, 1 Peter 2, following after Christ if you've tasted the goodness of the Lord. Colossians 2, being rooted and built up. All of these verses talking about how you live based on what? The work that Christ has done, not your effort, his, which is once again why I'm telling you, how do I know that God is at work? Because he's been at work and his work has production, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You can see those things working out in your life over time. So we see the growth. Look, did I say you're going to grow in all of them in the next 20 minutes? No, but as you're faithful now, and then five years from now, you're faithful now, and you've been faithful now over those five years, what will you see? Something. Something. You'll see an increase in joy, a love for the brethren, a patience, something. You don't get everything. That's why we have a community of faith. We need to work together because you guys fill up what is lacking in me, and I help to fill up what is lacking in you, because that's how the community works. That's the blessings of a Christian community, a believing group of people working together. But as we do that work, we see the production, the the accomplishment of God, and we can have joy. We can rejoice. And the more that we do that, this is the beauty of it. So the more that we focus on Christ because of the work of Christ, the more we will do what for Christ? will glorify and worship. And the more that we glorify and worship, the more we will focus on him, the more work that he will accomplish, the more that we will put to death our sin, the more we will glorify Christ, which means we will worship him more, which means he will accomplish. Yeah, going around the mountain. I'm not going to do that again because that was, yeah, that was actually harder on me than I thought. 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Look where you're going. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. In other words, because you're looking, when the adversary steps in the highway, how well will his schemes work? Not well, because you will be firm in your 
faith. Always realize this is, this is why, again, I'm never going to be Pentecostal one. I'm just not wired that way. I'm not, not casting any stones here. If you grew up Pentecostal, you just approve of that. I'm not wired that way. And two, I just don't think it's necessary because I've seen too many church services with too many bindings of Satan and too many casting out of demons. And, and do you know how we tell Satan no? No. <laughs> but, but, but teeth and the saliva and the growling. So he's defeated in Christ. I stand victorious, sealed by the Holy Spirit. He has no power and authority here. He can make accusations all he wants. Doesn't mean anything. I am in Christ. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fight. I don't have to ag. I resist him by being what? Firm in my faith. You want me to go off the rails, and I say, no. No. I want to walk faithfully because I'm focused on God, and I saw you coming from 12 intersections away. You don't get to play that game here. No. Oh, yeah? You're going to sideswipe me and kill me. You just got me to the end of the highway that much faster. And I've been faithful unto death, and by my endurance, I have gained my life. I've persevered to the end. I've, as Paul tells you, I fought the good fight. I've run the race, accomplished all. There's a reason why all these metaphors get used. You're just continually going the right direction because of who? I mean, we've talked about this before. Sometimes you walk with the Holy Spirit, and sometimes he does what? Sometimes he kicks you in the butt to make you move forward, and sometimes he does what else? Come on, come on. <laughs> and then you realize, you know, I'm really getting tired of sand going up my shorts. I think I want to stand up and walk because this sin is kicking my butt. And you know what it's time for? Sin to get its butt kicked for a little while. So I get it. Lesson learned. My mistake. This is the discipline of the Lord from Hebrews 12. And now you stand and you walk faithfully because you have been taught of God because he has not forsaken you because you are purchased by him. Again, who's work doing a lot of this accomplishment? Christ's. This is God bringing you to the right day of completion, bringing you to a good end. This is how you stand and this is how you walk. So, verse 4. Let endurance have its perfect result. <laughs> See, don't ever forget that. God's work produces things in you. And I know I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Philippians 1. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you go to work just to get a paycheck? Because I guarantee you, all of you are like, I'm only there because they pay me. You know what I know about you? You hate your job. <laughs> I'm, and I'm serious. And I'm not saying you're a bad person for it. I have had jobs that I hate. If you are there simply because they pay you or simply because you get a health insurance benefit or whatever it is, I can almost guarantee you more than likely hate your job. People who like, your jo like their job, do you know what they do? They accomplish something while they're there, and they actually like the thing that they're accomplishing. Whether you build something, or whether you learn something, or whether you teach someone, or whether you, you got something from point A to point B, you like accomplishing things because right work is meant to do what? Accomplish things. You ever been in a dead-end job? Why was it a dead-end job? Because I'm not going anywhere, and I'm not doing anything. I just show up and they pay me and I go home. I'm not accomplishing anything. Work is meant to accomplish things. Right work in the sight of God is always meant to accomplish things. Here's where it gets fun. Work by God, how often do you think it accomplishes things? Yeah, all the time. Which is why endurance, because remember, the endurance is by what? Is produced by what? 
go back. Let's make sure we cover this properly. Your faith produces endurance. And what is going on with your faith? It is being shown by you encountering trials. Where did those trials come from? The hand of a sovereign God, a ruling God over creation. In other words, he is at work in you, and that work is going to do what? Accomplish something, 1 John 2. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven. You, I'm sorry, your sins have been forgiven you for his namesake. I'm trying to put a comma where there doesn't belong one. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. How do they know? Come on, Whitney Houston, how do they know that he really loves them? You're welcome for that bad 80s reference. No, I'm serious, though. How do they know they have overcome? Wait for it, because they have overcome. (laughs) How do I know I will get to the end faithfully? I will get to the end faithfully, which is why I'm forever telling you to worry about your faithfulness when? Now, because if you're faithful now, You've always been faithful. And you'll always be faithful. And you will persevere to the end. And he who perseveres to the end will be saved. This is what your endurance produces. It's a perfect result because it is the work of God being born out. This is again why your faithfulness is so important. Why Romans 6 matters. Well, you know, Paul, you're doing such an amazing job of explaining in chapter 3 how everybody and their uncle is under sin. And then you did such an awesome job in this chapter 4 of explaining how the gift of God comes through the one man, just like sin entered through the one man, and how this is based on faith and the grace of God poured out on Abraham and how it's been seen. And then this awesome exposition in chapter 5 about how Christ is dying for the ungodly and he's working to cleanse and he's accomplishing all of these things. I got a question. If God is doing all this gracious work because of our magnification of sin, wouldn't it be a good idea for us to just sin more so that God can forgive us more and show how amazing he is? See, you're laughing because when you say it like that, it sounds really dumb. But what did the question Paul refute? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Yeah, and, and, it, and it sounds angry because in Greek it's meganoita. Which, if you say that quickly and with a little German accent, it sounds like something out of a bad World War II movie. I mean, it sounds angry, and it's literally, you know, the transliteration would be, are you stupid? No! As we translate it in English, may it never be, which is the really polite way of going, you done bumped your head and lost your mind? No, we don't do that. Why not? Because in Christ you were dead, and you are dead to your trespass and sins. This is our baptismal formula, right? Buried with him in death raised to walk in the newness of life. And I promise you when we do a baptism, we don't hold them down that long. I just do that for dramatic effect with you. (laughs) If it's an actual person, I do it much faster, just so you know. (laughs) Just make sure we cover all the bases here, you know. My my water is stuck because I put it on too tightly. But that's the perfect result. No, you don't continue on because the Holy Spirit is looking at you going, seriously, this is the way we're going to travel down this road? No. And if, you're cons- if you are capable of looking at the Holy Spirit and saying, no, I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way. I want Fleetwood Mac theology. I want to go my own way. You're also welcome for that reference. If you are capable of doing that, are you arguing with the Holy Spirit? No. No, you're not. 
Because he's going to look at you and say what? No, we're going this way. Yeah, there you go. Now, hold on to that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. See, if you're capable of walking off the path and never looking back, the Holy Spirit was never holding you upon the path. Because if you start walking off, Holy Spirit's going to go, where do you think you're going? Come here. Get your butt back here. And you're going to say what? You're going to say, I, I know, I know, my bad. Again, you care about your sin. Why? Because you have been transformed. The Lord loves those whom he disciplines. He scourges, that's literally whipping, every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Even, even if you're not like the spanking the kids and the grandkids thing. Do you just let them run wild? Do you let them climb the ceiling and write on the walls and... No, you'd be like, no, 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 no. But that's not how we live. I expect better of you. I will teach you better than this. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Perfect result. Endurance has its perfect result. Why are you encountering various trials? To prove your faith, to demonstrate your perseverance so that your perseverance will result in good endurance. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Doesn't that sound good? I want to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, because you know what I remember every morning? That I am imperfect and incomplete, and I'm lacking in quite a few things. And it's miserable, isn't it? I mean, have you ever experienced that moment where you realized you messed something up, and you realized you messed something up because you read it wrong, or you figured out the problem wrong? In other words, the problem was you. How do you feel in that moment? Yeah, it's like, stupid, 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 stupid. <laughs> I used to, my, um, I have a teacher that would do this every couple of years. I had a couple of teachers. I think they used to hand it up every couple of grades. But uh, third, fourth grade was the first time I saw this. Did you ever have the school lesson on following instructions? Did you remember how that went? They gave you a sheet of paper with like, they first. what's the first rule when you get a set of instructions? Read how many of them? All of them. That's step one, right? Did you guys do this in school? You got like 40 instructions on a sheet of paper, and like the first one is, you know, read your instructions. And then the second one is like walk around your desk and then cluck like a chicken. And about the time you get down to like 36 or 37, it was ignore all the instructions. And then it was like write your name on a paper and turn it in. And so some of us are, you know, some of us actually remembered the lesson. We're like, ha, ha, ha. And then you look around the room and what's happening? Kids are walking around clucking like chickens and writing with the chalk on the walls. And it's like, and you're sitting there going, oh, okay, yeah, they're on number 24. Okay, this is going to be entertaining. And then they all get to the end and it's like, oh. Because why? Because they messed up. They got ahead of themselves. Christian, welcome to your world. We are imperfect and incomplete and lacking in plenty. Now, time out. 
how do I know that the work of God will be successful? How do I know the righteousness that he has called me to? How do I know what would work and what won't work in this world? I got ahead of myself here. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. And by the way, Paul in 2 Timothy didn't just pull that out of the ether somewhere. Isaiah 55, my word, which, I'm sorry, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Why did God give you a Bible? Why did he send us prophets and apostles and a history of a people and a fulfillment of all of his promises? Yes, so we'll read it, but so that we will know. You've heard me tell you this before. I'm going to go back to a point we had at the beginning. I don't care how you feel. I care what you know, because what you know will lead where you are, and that will then determine how you feel. Because you may be miserable for moments in your life, but if you know where you are going and you know the road upon which you are traveling, you will rejoice in that misery. And you can be grounded and secured in the work of God, having its completion and its perfected end because you've seen the promises, you have seen the fulfillment, you have seen the power, majesty, and completion on display, and you trust. I mean, this is John's gospel, right? All the books in all the world wouldn't hold it if we wrote everything that Christ had done. But I wrote these, why? So that you would know and believe. It's meant to change your heart. Because if I change your heart, I change your motivations. And if I change your motivations, I change the way you think about the world. And if I change the way you think, I will change what you do. Which is why we care about the why. You may be, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The adequate incompleteness we have is found in Christ. That is instructed to us in Scripture, and we know that it is good because it is a pruning work. See, always remember this part of life. If you aren't good, then what part of you should I keep? <laughs> and, and I'm serious. You've all had that moment. Do you, you ever like look at the block of cheese in the cabinet and you're like, oh, it's growing stuff on one end, but it's not growing stuff on the other end. And you know what you did? What'd you do? You cut off the part that was growing stuff and you're like, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. Now, you can get away with that with cheese because of how it works. Do you do that with loaves of bread? No, because it doesn't... You might be like, you're like, okay, well, these four pieces aren't any good and you throw those away, but you're like... And then you look at them and you're like, they don't smell like they've turned yet. Do you do that with meat that you have left over? No. There are certain things that once it gets corrupted, yeah, it's, it's, we're done here. Christian, thanks be to God, you're a lot more like cheese, okay? <laughs> you knew I was going somewhere with that, didn't you? Yeah. I'm serious. You still tell jokes, right? You're still entertained by a lot of the similar things that you were when you were a pagan. You still enjoy the same styles of music. This is why Christian music is so entertaining to me. There's 
classical Christian music and there's contemporary Christian music and there's Christian rap and Christian rock. I mean, there, I mean, death metal as a category of music, there are Christian bands that do that. I had CDs for a few years. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> they, they do like the whole growl thing. You can't even understand. Jesus! Okay. You think I'm kidding. You think, and it's actually, it's actually not bad. And by the way, for all of you besmirching the death metal, <laughs> there's rhyme and reason to what they do. Like, there's a reason why all of those songs build the way that they do when they have what's known as a breakdown and the guitars are strung as loose as they are because they actually have a structure that they follow. It doesn't sound like it, but there's actually a structure that is followed. I'm, I'm not here to defend the death metal, but there you go. <laughs> there's rhyme and reason. Exactly. Now, why are there so many Christians in all of these different aspects of music? Well, because they enjoy that type of music, and Christ doesn't redeem them. Be like, all right, it's Bach and Beethoven or else. <laughs> so you do what? You express how God has made you and how he has redeemed you and the things that he has gifted you for. That's why there are some Christians that write great nonfiction and theology books, and you got like all the Max Lucado books and all the, the, those, I, I always joke and call them the Amish romance novels. Because it's, 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 you think I'm kidding. It's a whole category of Christian literature. My wife is back there nodding her head. They're, they follow the same category as a romance novel, but without all the stuff you're not, you're not supposed to be reading in the romance novel. They get married first. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is a category of literature. Why? Because there's an author that was redeemed by God and now has a gifting to write these stories that talk about redemption and love and companionship in a way that is God-honoring and Christ-exalting, if I could speak English. In other words, he prunes and refines us day by day, chiseling off the parts that are broken, repairing the parts that are good, and building up everything that he is doing. This is what discipline is meant to accomplish. This is what endurance is demonstrating. 2 Corinthians 12. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, Paul talking about seeing heaven and God upon the throne. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Which, by the way, is that a good thing? To keep you from exalting you? Even if it means I got to kick your butt to do it, right? That's what the Holy Spirit's doing here. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, less of me, more of him. And the parts of me that are only remain because they have been pruned, they have been shaped, and they have been strengthened by his good work. And as I remember that, I see the perfect result because now I am moving closer to that perfect, to that complete, to that lacking in nothing. Because when I live in that moment, what do I have? What do I always have that they can't take? I have Christ. Is he enough? Do we live like he's enough? <laughs> Which means what needs to change? How we live based on what we know. What we know to be true. His perfection. His completeness. His working in our lives. Changing our hearts and our minds so that we continue traveling forward. Not because we're good, 
but because everything that is in us that needs to be changed is being changed, and everything from us that needs to be pulled off is being pulled off, and God will use the world as the sandpaper to just kind of keep scrubbing on you. Doesn't belong there. It's got to go. You won't cut it off. So what will God do? He'll make you. And it is for your good and his glory, because as he completes the work, as he brings us closer to him, he is demonstrating his power and his majesty over a broken people. Because you look more and more each day like him. You look more and more each day like the people that he has called us to be. And we can rejoice because we can see that work. This is again why I tell you, when are you faithful? Now. When do you rejoice in all the work that he has accomplished? Always. Always. Because I can see where I was and I can see where I am and I can rejoice that he has brought me thus far. His grace has brought me safe thus far. His grace will lead me home. That's the hope. That's the promise. That's the place where we live day by day. Now, as you live there, how do you feel? What's the right answer? I don't care. Where is that place? It is a place of joy because it is celebrating the work of God because that work of God is completing what he has begun. And as he continues to work, I rejoice in the God who has redeemed me and the God who will rescue me for eternity. Let's pray.